today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday, uh, we got yet another chapter, of course, in uh, the controversy that's going on about the SNC-Lavalin situation. More importantly, not even the way the government handled it, but the fallout since then. The, and, and, you know, the, the way the Prime Minister has handled things, the resignations, the you know, the, the Wilson-Raybould thing, and on and on it goes. Well, uh, yesterday, uh, Andrew Scheer, the leader of the opposition, the conservative leader, uh, held a media conference and uh, re- told us all that the Prime Minister apparently is threatening to sue the leader of the opposition for libel. In a letter from Trudeau's lawyer, uh, he says that uh, they have taken issue with what they call inappropriate comments made by Scheer in a statement uh, in regards to documentation about the uh, Judy Wilson-Raybould case. And, uh, well, it got kind of messy, and uh, it, we're not quite sure where the turn's going to go, but Mr. Shearer seems to have a strategy in place. Well, I think it speaks to a, a multifaceted campaign to silence those who speak out against him. Uh, we know that Ms. Wilson-Raybould and uh, Dr. Philpott were kicked out of caucus for the, for the sole crime of telling the truth. Well, anybody that thought this was going to go away anytime soon has been sadly mistaken. Joining us to talk about what the next steps may be on this is uh, Peter Gray, Professor of Political Science at McMaster University here in Hamilton. Hey, Peter, how are you doing this morning? Great, thanks. Good. Uh, this, uh, this, this thing, every time we just think, okay, maybe this is going to die down a little bit, somebody just kind of pumps some wind under the wings of it again, and this latest letter from the Prime Minister really seems to have done that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to see it as another uh, own goal for the, the government when all is said and done. Uh, I mean, certainly it provides an opportunity for the opposition party uh, to claim that they're trying to be silenced. Uh, I mean, we haven't actually seen much polling about how uh, citizens feel when, uh, you know, when when uh, the parties and politicians take each other to court. I mean, we've seen a few attempts lately to do that. I, I remember Kathleen Wynne, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and Mr. Hudak, I believe, was uh, one case, and then... Uh, Going back a ways, you had Stephen Harper uh, suing uh, Stéphane Dion for some comments where Dion claimed that uh, Mr. Harper had, uh, I think, bribed some people, bribed Chuck Cabin or Chuck Kevin's widow, widow to get a vote in a, in a tight, tight vote. Um, so, I mean, we're seeing this more often, but I suspect most citizens wonder what's going on. I, I don't think they necessarily want to see their politicians solving their differences in the court of law. And so in this case, I think it, it is a natural for Andrew Scheer to be able to say, uh, I'm trying to be silenced, as he did, and similarly, he could probably be very successful fundraising off the back of this with his uh, with his base, saying ultimately uh, the the Trudeau government is unable to beat us with political arguments, so they have to go to court. Yeah, there's another example. I think John Cretchen tried to sue Preston Manning, or threatened to anyway, uh, because of some accusation about uh, patronage in in you know making appointments to Senate. Of course, we know that never happens, right, Peter? <laughs> yeah, but perhaps they don't sell it in the way. I mean, I think Stephen <laughs> claimed that uh, Jean Chrétien had personally benefited from a, a Senate appointment, and that was maybe beyond the pale. When they go into something like this, though, like you say, if you take it into the into the legal realm now, as a, we know there's going to be political back and forth and some bombast that goes on in this, but once they threaten court action, is, is it really just a ploy? Because nobody's ever followed through on it. Uh, yeah, I mean, usually it's settled eventually, although, I mean, in some cases, like uh, the the case against Stéphane Dion, I think it was felt that uh, the money, the sums involved were sufficiently large for an, uh, an embattled and weakened uh, federal liberal party at the time that uh, it really did push him to pull back. Uh, and, and so we, in fact, saw a kind of fairly fulsome retraction from the part of Stéphane Dion. I mean, in a case like this, you have to ask why, why would the liberals do this, given uh, everyone seems to see this as like a, a yet another failed strategy. And maybe part of it is uh, 
uh, to try and change the channel on Andrew Sheard and to, to try and make it seem like he will say anything, even things that are not true, uh, things that are exaggerated with respect to the scandal. So maybe a part of the strategy, similar to what I think Kathleen Wynne was trying to do with Tim Hudak, was to say, you can't just go out and say that I've committed something that's criminal. Uh, you may disagree with what I've done, but uh, there's no criminality in it. And if you do that, then you have to answer for that in court. So it may be in a case like this where people are looking at Trudeau and saying there's, there's someone who's unable to admit that he's done wrong. Uh, they may be trying to get the same question asked about Andrew Scheer. But uh, again, it's uh, it's hard to know whether that will be successful given uh, the ease with which I think the Conservatives can say, look, they're trying to silence us. There's a, an interesting pattern developing here, and I'm glad you brought this up about the strategy, Peter. It just seems that ever since this controversy started, uh, when this came to light with Bob Fife's story in the Globe and Mail, it seems like it was a year ago now, but it was only about, I guess, eight, eight, nine weeks ago now, uh, everything the Liberals have tried to do to try to counteract anything that's come down here seems to have just fizzled totally. I mean, the, you got to wonder who's calling the shots here. Yeah, I mean, I think more generally, uh, you, it does raise questions about the Prime Minister. I mean, in most cases, in, in a scandal, I mean, uh, you know, Jean Chrétien, <laughs> to come back to him, famously said, you know, when you paint yourself in the corner, sometimes you've got to walk over the paint. Uh, in a way, you have to assume some version of what happened, accept uh, the consequences that come with that, and, and move forward. But this government seems not necessarily to have a real kind of clear ethical core, uh, where they can say, yes, in fact, this was something contrary to how we were we were planning to act, but there were important reasons why, and, uh, you know, let's move forward. Uh, and, I mean, there were a number of opportunities, I think, for Trudeau to take that. In fact, uh, you know, look like he was really concerned about employment and jobs and so forth. But the longer it, it moves along, the, the less credible any of that seems, because uh, there's no there's been no admission that anything untoward might have happened. Uh, and, you know, it would seem from the evidence fairly clear that, there had been pressure on the attorney general, and there should not have been pressure on the attorney general. Uh, I suspect if you you know went and said, "Okay, let's face the Canadian public this fall on that question," uh, Trudeau would have done quite well because most people don't really understand that principle, yeah. or they see uh, you know uh, they see it as a problem if the government contravenes it, but not one that necessarily requires you know, resignations of the prime minister or a replacement of the government. Well, I think that's what's amazing to an awful lot of people right now. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the protocol that's supposed to go around about lobbying ministers and then, you know, this fine line between, well, she's the justice minister, which is a cabinet member, but she's also the attorney general. And, and as a result, you shouldn't be lobbying her. And I think a lot of folks, that's that's kind of inside baseball stuff. And it may be a little over the heads of, of some people, but the other element to this is, as you say, the way they've tried to basically justify this. I mean, isn't, isn't rule one in politics is when you mess up, you own it and just say, look, I messed up, I screwed up, let's, uh, let's move on? You would think so. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it would seem that uh, Trudeau, although he uh, likes to give apologies uh, uh, for what may have been collective errors in, in Canada's past. Uh, for himself individually, it seems admitting mistakes uh, is very hard for him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it does lend, I mean, I think this is what's probably been more damaging for the Liberals, is uh, the more Trudeau comes out and speaks, the more it seems to be there's no kind of solid core there. Uh, there's no sense of, you know, what he believes, what he's for, what he's about, what principles he's standing on in this case. And, uh I think uh, it, he comes out looking weakened as a result. People are less likely uh, to trust him. And again, is, who's it really going to hurt him with? I suspect uh, the part of the electorate. I mean, part of the reason he won in 2015 is he expanded the electorate. He got young people and Indigenous people out to vote in much greater numbers. 
you know, I think with these kinds of performances, he begins to look like just another politician. And so his risk is, I think, losing those new voters he brought last time. Either they'll stay home or they may look for a house uh, somewhere else in the political spectrum. That's interesting because we've seen that phenomenon in the last number of uh, federal elections especially, haven't we? Uh, When voters become disenchanted, they don't necessarily swing over to the other side. They just don't vote. Yeah, I mean, again, in in this case, it's hard to know who would change their mind. I mean, the the people who are posting memes about, you know, how Trudeau should be tried for treason and so on probably weren't going to vote for him anyway in a case like this. Uh, I mean, Trudeau certainly was successful in taking up part of the electorate that swings between the NDP and the Liberal Party and really making them faithful to the Liberals. You know, people who might have voted for Jack Layton in 2011 uh, were voting for Trudeau in 2015. Uh, Again, that's a piece of the electorate that he'll have to work harder to win this coming time, uh, again, because I suspect uh, that his, his way of presenting himself makes him look less like the champion of some kind of progressive and different Canada and more like... Well, in fact, a not terribly uh, successful politician, one who has a tough time telling the truth, but, uh, you know, doesn't even stick to one truth. Well, and, and there's a body of work here, I guess, that's, uh, the, you know, we can start adding on here, whether it was the India trip or the uh, the gifts from the Aga Khan, whatever the case might be. Uh, it's it's almost a belligerence to say, look, I know what I'm doing, just leave me alone. And he seems to have taken that sort of attitude with this, too. I think the pivotal moment in this might have been that Friday morning when he summoned everybody to the to the press gallery there in Ottawa. Everybody thought there was going to be an apology there, and we didn't really get one, did we? No, I mean, we've never really received a very full accounting of the story, I think, in part because they had acted in a manner that was contrary to the principle of uh, the independence of the uh, of the Auditor General. I think they're also probably wondering a bit uh, if another shoe would drop in the sense that there was plenty that wasn't illegal in this case, uh, but nevertheless reflected poorly uh, on the idea of government being you know, fairly neutral between us. I mean, the extent to which SNC-Lavalin was able to employ uh, you know, such pressure and to have you know, actors at the top of the federal government more or less at its beck and call doing its bidding, again, probably doesn't sit that well uh, in terms of parts of the liberal electorate who are a bit wary of that coziness with corporate Canada. Although in that case, it seems like, you know, the NDP, which would be the natural party to capitalize on that, hasn't been that successful in pushing those ideas or that narrative forward. Yeah, this seems to be a two-man battle right now, doesn't it, between Sheer and Trudeau? Yagmeet uh, Singh, I guess, has made a couple of comments on that, but he doesn't seem to be getting a whole lot of media from it. Yeah, I mean, I would actually say it's a it's a one-man battle. I mean, uh, maybe with this court case, Andrew Scheer will become more part of the story. Uh, but ultimately, you know, this is a, a case, I think, of the decline of Parliament, where uh, the new information that's come up in this in this story has often been coming from journalists. Uh, we have seen some work in the in the Justice Committee, uh, and the te- you know the ability to compel testimony has also provided some facts, but. Uh, you know, one, it's hard to see Andrew Scheer really central in this story. It's been much more about Trudeau being held to account by the press uh, uh, and and the media's sort of constant telling of the story, and much less the opposition politicians being able to to lead the narrative. But obviously, he's hoping anyway that being Scheer to be the beneficiary of all this. Uh, does does he back off? I mean, there's a, another one of those old political axioms too: is when your opponent's twisting in the wind, you just stand back and let it happen. You don't try to jump in there and do anything about it. Because uh, that's where the focus of the attention is. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think the people around Andrew Scheer are aware of the fact that he's been leader for two years now, and he's actually not that well-known by Canadians. Uh, I don't think they really know what to make of him or what his ethical and moral core is, what his, you know, what, what is really important to him. Why did he get into politics? Why is he 
since you know his mid-20s has he been a, a member of parliament what's he done what's important to him and so on the one hand you know they probably want to introduce him to canadians on the other hand you're right if if the uh, government is in a period of self-immolation maybe just keep him away so he doesn't get uh, you know set on fire while that's happening so uh, I think the Conservatives have a, have a difficult choice to make, because if they don't introduce Andrew Scheer soon to Canadians, uh, presumably the Liberals have some strategy for trying to paint the picture of, uh, well, of either, uh, you know, scary Andrew Scheer or, you know, Andrew Scheer, a career politician, you know, since his 20s, uh, what's he really done? What does he know about how people actually live and work and make a living in this country? Well, if you recall, uh, the listeners, that is, of course, I know you and I have talked about this in the past. Uh, when he did win the leadership, I mean, there were a lot of stories and concerns and rumors uh, about those very extreme right-wingers that, uh, that Jason Kenney apparently is consorting with these days, too, that Scheer was actually beholden to them. That's kind of fallen away in the last little while, Peter, and I guess it's probably because the Liberals haven't really got time to go after Andrew Scheer because they're busy playing defense at this stage. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's hard to know. Uh, I mean, we saw with that uh, rally on Ottawa where the Yellow Vesters came and uh, uh, had a, a number of comments which you would have thought a federal conservative politician would have not wanted to be anywhere close to. I mean, certainly Preston Manning, who was seen as, you know, the sort of the new right guy in the 1990s, worked really hard to distance himself from those kinds of uh, claims and uh, actors. Uh, you had Andrew Scheer, you know, quite close to them. So, you know, it could be that the Liberals don't have the time and energy or money to uh, run against that. But, uh, you know, the maybe more troubling uh, possibility is that that doesn't actually move many voters when, when all is said and done. I mean, we saw, you know, Doug Ford could uh, pose with Faith Goldie and, uh, uh, you know, no one really thought that there was any issue there. Uh, I think we've seen Jason Kenney, I mean, <laughs> scandal a day. Yeah, pretty <laughs> Some much. Of these things. Uh, he looks uh, on course at the moment to be the next premier of Alberta. So, I mean, the other thing is that maybe that doesn't move votes when all is said and done, and so there's not a lot of interest on the part of the, the Liberals to push on that, uh, particularly as long as within the Conservative Party there's no one willing to you know, take the stand, kind of as Charles Adler did in his radio interview with uh, uh, Jason Kenney the other day to really say no. In fact, conservatism needs to set a higher moral standard in terms of how we deal with some of these uh, more uh, racist or nativist expressions that we're seeing at the moment. Peter Greif, uh, political science professor from McMaster. Peter, it's always insightful. Thanks so much for the time today. You're welcome. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.